This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 25 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we are wrapping up our final series, uh, looking at the current leader of the Star Trek franchise, Justin Lin, and all of his movies that he's directed. It's exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. He's directed some very exciting movies. Yes, he some has. Some really exciting movies. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be his thing. He's good at it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll just uh, look at all seven of his movies and um, go through them one by one and uh, see see what, we, what conclusions we can draw from them. Let's do it. All right. His first one was Better Luck Tomorrow, which was an indie movie, which he made for next to nothing. Uh, do you, you want to give a synopsis of that one? Yes. Uh, several Asian-American teens uh, are, you know, going through life, um, and they are involved in various nefarious schemes. Um, at first, nothing that's uh, too terrible, uh, but then things escalate, and they start to, uh, you know, get a cachet of power and notoriety, and things spiral out of control and go rather poorly by the end. Yes, they do. So, yeah. what did what did you think about Better Luck Tomorrow? Great, especially especially in the context of like uh, an early or a first movie sort of context, because I, I believe this is his second actual one, but like the only one you the, it's his first one for practical purposes, right? Yeah, you can't like really that. get the other one. I think it was yeah. uh, so small that it was pretty much, you know, virtually non-existent. Yeah, <laughs> lost lost to. VHS or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but but this is uh, especially in the context of somebody just finding his feet and just you know moving along. It like it it's really a well done character study, really well cast, well written, uh, good dialogue. The the plot is compelling, um, and at the same time he manages, and you know this is something you wind up seeing through the rest of his stuff. He manages to work in the you know the the SoCal background, that environment as a character unto itself, um, which, which is really interesting. Cause like you, I, I've never lived there. I've visited there once. And so like, I really, you, you come out of the movie with a feeling of what it was like to live in that area. And it, so he does a really good job of setting up a, a sense of place. And I, I think it's a really good movie. Very much worth seeing. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, one of the things which kind of stands out to me, like whenever you see a movie of this scale, you know, especially if it's critically acclaimed, you think like, well, content wise, it's going to be solid. It has to be. Otherwise, people wouldn't be watching it. But, um, you know, usually because of the sort of limited resources and stuff and the fact that, you know, I think filmmakers just in general, you know, when they're starting out, they tend to focus on story and character and everything because those are the important things and they're the hardest things and you know you, you need to nail those or else no one's going to care about your movie uh, but and sometimes the the uh, visual side of things the the sort of um, spectacle is lost and here 
I was really impressed by how great it looked and 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 you know mm-hmm. was put together you know everything like that it, it it was it was really very impressive on that level uh which you know I think speaks volumes uh towards him as a director you know not just as yeah. like a storyteller but as a as like a filmmaker and I think that's really cool like you look at you know let's say Sex Lies and Videotape Steven Soderbergh's first movie you know great and it, Soderbergh it's 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 yeah. a really good movie but it's very very restrained you know and it's not until a couple movies down the road where he starts getting crazy and becomes mm-hmm. the Soderbergh we all know and love or some of us do yes well hey I got nothing against Soderbergh I just <laughs> okay. like teasing you you know that fair enough everybody fair knows enough. that I just like teasing you yeah no yeah. I but but yeah I think that's a fair set I, I think that um you know, with Better Luck Tomorrow, you get the sense of somebody who you don't get the sense of somebody who is just starting out. And so you're forgiving certain things and saying, well, you know, it's his first time. Like you get the sense of somebody who has a full command of, at the very least, the skills that he's going to need to be successful yeah. and to actually put together a, a, a compelling movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So after the success of Better Luck Tomorrow, Hollywood came calling and in 2006 he made two movies back to back the first of which was Annapolis yes. starring James Franco and Tyrese Gibson so you want to tell us what Annapolis is about a uh, a kid from the wrong side of the tracks or I guess from the shipbuilding side of the tracks has dreams of going to the Naval Academy and he does and the whole thing is about his struggles of trying to fit in and find his way because he's always been a maverick, a loner dotty, a rebel. And he, uh, he instead finds a way to work within the system and gain the respect of those that don't want him there. And uh, along the way, uh, find the affections of the attractive Jordana Brewster um, <laughs> as an added bonus. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is a movie which, you know, certainly it is cliche and and everything. And, you know, in in the grand scheme of things, I would say one of Lynn's lesser works, but it's not nearly as bad as its reputation would lead you to believe. I think it's actually, you know, pretty good. You know, we talked about this on the episode, but it it does what it sets out to do um, very skillfully. It's not going to blow your mind. It's not going to change the way you look at the world or anything like that. But it's a, a well-made little movie. Well, and at, at the very least, there's still the, you know, the skillful uh, construction of character. You know, the, the characters that he brings to life or that, I mean, the actors bring them to life. But you can tell that there's a director here who cares about letting the actors uh, work do their thing and and make these characters worth watching um and what's interesting is it is sort of a sophomore slump like if you were to show me these two movies and not tell me which one came first i would have thought annapolis came first and then but better luck tomorrow came second you know like it's that sort of it's not it's not a it's not a backward step but it, it very much feels like something where it's somebody who's less sure of themselves putting this movie together Mm-hmm. I mean, they they talk about that thing, you know, um, like in relation to to, to records. Like I've heard, um, I think Tom Petty was talking about this, or Jimmy Iovine, or something like mm-hmm. that. Where it's like, you, you look at the sophomore slump in terms of like music, and 
And, yeah. you know, that first album is great, and the second album is is lacking. And the reason is because, you know, you've spent, what, five, ten years? Yeah honing that those those 10 songs or whatever it is on the, that first album and making them perfect you spent your entire life basically developing those 10 songs and then they blow up and they're like okay we need 10 more and you're like oh okay quick 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 you know write something down you know and then you get yeah. that out there and i think i think it was jimmy iovina says this on the the tom petty documentary running down a dream which if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it no one's i have it. yeah you, you have seen it of course Okay, I'm a huge Tom Petty fan. Okay, f- fair enough. I mean, yeah. I I love Tom Petty too, but I, I get the impression that barely anyone has seen this movie. No, yeah, I it's saw a, it. if you if you haven't seen it, it's a four hour documentary by Peter Bogdanovich, uh, mm-hmm. which basically mm-hmm. chronicles the entire career of Tom Petty, and uh, it's extremely worth checking out. Yes, it Would is. You agree? Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, it's uh, so good. it wasn't a one night viewing for me. It was split a, split across a couple of nights, but um, yeah, I mean the the depth that it goes into the you know just the insight, the honesty of it is wonderful. We actually played it. I, I played it theatrically oh, really? for no one way. night, one night only. You know, and I don't think anyone coming knew that it was going to be four hours long, but. Yeah, it was great, and and I you, I, you had I, the I got running the... time in like little tiny print down in the lower right hand corner or something. <laughs> yeah, by the way, it was, it's four hours. Uh, there's an intermission and everything, and it really blew me away. It's so inspirational. Like if you, I mean, just the idea of you know creating something. I always love stories like that. I mean, that's one of the yeah. reasons why I love Straight Out of Compton so much. You know, this year and everything, but like it's the idea of that, but also the idea that it's like getting together with your friends and and creating mm-hmm. something like that i mean it's similar to podcasting you know and and uh it's, yeah it's really inspirational but regardless of that in that documentary you know jimmy iovine is talking about this stuff and he's like you know the first album is great because you know you've been working on it forever the second album tends to suck because you're throwing something together you know over the span of like uh you know a week or whatever but yeah. it's the third album where you get the masterpiece. That's the one which stands out and, and becomes the one that people really remember. And uh, Justin Lin's third album or movie was The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Yes. <laughs> the one, the only, the least successful, the one, the deep cut. It's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's like uh, with The Doors, it's the soft parade. It's how you can tell... That that's a real hardcore fan is the person that's like the soft parade. Yeah. That's the album to go to. And that's what this movie is. Yeah, yeah. So so what's what's Tokyo Drift all about? Uh the Tokyo Drift ostensibly is about a uh, young lad who loves to race who runs into trouble yet again and has to go live with his father in Japan. Um and of course his love for racing cannot be contained. And so he finds a way to uh, get involved in it again. And along the way, he meets somebody that you, you may have remembered from uh, Better Luck Tomorrow, uh, Han. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And uh, that's, that's, you know, the, so the movie becomes basically an honor racing movie. You know, uh, like the, the race at the end is going to decide the fate of all. Uh, and, you know, there's tragedy along the way. And there's a little bit of love. 
and there's a uh, you know an absolutely adorable uh, yakuza mob boss who truly respects our hero by the end of that movie, even though he cuts off people's fingers for failure. Hatari Hanzo. Yeah, he's he's a charming guy, yeah. but it's uh, it's an amazing movie because it it absolutely uh, elevates. It, it takes the concept behind the Fast and the Furious and it turns it into uh, art. It turns it into something that speaks, uh, you know, from I like the thing that I couldn't get over the whole time I was watching it was it was one of the best movies I've ever seen to communicate what it feels like to be a minority to somebody who might not have had that experience by taking that character and putting him in Tokyo and showing what it's like to be somebody that people don't want to relate to or that treat as an outsider just because of who you are at first glance. Like it was a really amazing movie uh, in, in that standpoint. And of course Han is so cool and so awesome that uh, you know, like just, you know, Sang Kong is, is, he's amazing and, uh, you know, yes, okay, I, I'm done raving about the movie. Everybody's heard me <laughs> rave about the movie nonstop. I love the movie. I will always love this movie. Yeah, and, and it really does feel like a Lin movie, you know, looking back at, you know, his first two, you know, especially Better Luck Tomorrow, you know, it feels like an extension of that. It's like Better Luck Tomorrow, but in the fast and furious you know universe you know but with yeah. racing cars and, and stuff like that and and that's that's pretty cool you know I, I like that it's it's very much him even though it is the third film in this franchise and you know um it's it's cool that that it's different from what has come before and it's cool that uh you know it, it seems like people have uh recognized his talent or people did recognize his talent even though it may not have been the box office success which the studio was hoping for and that'll come into play in a little bit but before getting super caught up in the fast and furious lifestyle uh Mm -hmm. justin lynn put a a a little bit of uh, the brakes on on his his crazy action filmmaking by returning to the world of indie cinema with Finishing the Game, The Search for yeah. a New Bruce Lee, which came out the following year. Yeah. Uh, you want to tell people what this thing is? As we discussed when we talked about it the first time, even though I hate the term, it's a mockumentary about supposedly the uh, never-known-before original plan to finish Bruce Lee's last movie after he died. Uh, you know, this is the untold story of what came before what was actually done. Um, and so with that, it's it's shot, you know, like a documentary and it follows these uh, Asian American actors as they're going through and they're trying to, uh, you know, step into this role. And along the way, it shows what it meant and what it was like for Asian Americans in Hollywood um, at the time you know, that Bruce Lee was big. So while at the same time giving, you know, homage to what Bruce Lee meant culturally to, you know, American society as a whole, global society as a whole, along the way you learn what it was like to, you know, to to see the way uh, Asian Americans were portrayed, uh, you know, in cinema and on television. Um, And this is actually, this is actually a movie that, like, 
you know, I, I was like, yeah, you know, it's good. I get what it's going for. But like, as I've thought about it, as I've chewed on it more, I've liked it more. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as I've thought about it I, and thought about it again, coming into the, you know, recording this tonight, like, I really, I, I'm like, wow, you know, I like this a lot more than I thought I did the first time. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a it's a good movie. You know, it's definitely a change of pace for him, but I think that that uh, he still shows like a mastery of of the medium you know it's it's uh something which uh you wouldn't normally um consider him to be doing you know on on like an aesthetic level but at the same time thematically it it is in keeping with uh what he's been sort of uh you know exploring uh, with his other movies and yeah, I mean, like you're saying, it it does have like some some pretty solid social commentary going on, even though it's done very much in a humorous and entertaining way. You know, yeah, it's 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 a lot like Star Trek in that sense. You know, right? And, it doesn't bludgeon you with the message; it just lets the message play through the material. Right, right. And by not you know hitting you over the head with it, it it, it kind of lets it seep in, kind of I think mm-hmm. you know in the way that you're describing. And uh, yeah, it's it's very solid. And to me, like the thing that that stands out about it is the fact that even though it is so different from everything that he's done before, it's still spot on. You know, he realizes that different stories uh, require different uh, storytelling techniques. And, you know, even though he's really, really good at showing cars racing and whatnot, that doesn't mean that he's also not really good at uh, making a mockumentary, you know? Uh, And and I think that, that, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Ultimately, I think one of his his lesser movies, again, but still really solid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I, I... You know, even though it, I agree it is a lesser movie, I think it's worth the rental. You know, yeah. it, it's it's like an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, and it's you like know, three uh, bucks. Uh, yeah. yeah, and like like we like we said when we we covered it the first time, it's like the the best. And, and th- this is a testament to his skill too. Is like you know, he tells the jokes fast enough that even if the joke doesn't land with you, you know that the next one's coming up and it's going to be rapid fire. It's mm-hmm. going to come up quick. So. Um, and yeah, some and some really good performances. You, you have Sung Kang in there again, and it's it's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, after finishing the game, Justin Lin returned to the world of the Fast and the Furious for um, three movies. He's been there ever since in terms of his theatrical productions. Uh, the first of which, in two thousand and nine, was Fast and Furious. Yeah. You want to give a synopsis of this one? You know what? I was thinking about this coming into this. Uh, there was a movie released that is uh, uh, released on home video very recently that is sort of like this. Um, the Force Awakens. This is the Force Awakens of the Fast and Furious franchise where it's kind of a reboot, but at the same time, a continuation of the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, like this is if you miss the first three, this is your entry point. Yeah. And it's it's really fun because it's it's essentially rebooting the first movie, uh, like in the fourth one, and it, it you know it works it it just does it's it's fun to watch and his you know even though he um, he definitely expands his um, use of CG because that was sort of what fe- you know 
uh, Tokyo Drift was known for the fact that it didn't use CG, that it was using all of this, you know, practical car stunts. He does use more CG, but at the same time, he's, you know, you've got the snidely whiplash villains and you've got the superhero heroes who can get shot and just sort of like, they get annoyed. You know, like it's really, it's a fun movie, man. It's really worth watching. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, like like, like we were saying before, how, you know, the studio or whoever it was had enough faith in him, despite the fact that, that Tokyo Drift was not a financial success, that they, mm. you know, decided to give him Fast and Furious, which was obviously very important to them because this was their shot at turning this franchise around from a, you know, financial perspective and making it into what it did become. And the idea that, you know, after this substantial, you know, decline with Tokyo Drift, you know, money-wise, that they were like, you know what, let's stick with this guy, even though it's going to be very, very different from what he did. His thing was way different from the other two. And, you know, we're trying to recapture the magic of the first one or whatever. The fact that they brought him back to do this, I think, is kind of amazing. It's so not what you would expect a studio to do. And they yeah. did it, and it totally paid off. And it really does kind of speak to his talent that he was able to adapt. And even though he was making the fourth movie, he wasn't making Tokyo Drift 2. He was making Fast and Furious, you know, and, and that, that's... A that's prequel, pretty, technically. Yeah, it, it is a prequel, technically. And you know, like you're saying, it is a reboot. It, it's kind of like, um, you know, you, you <laughs> it's like Highlander where all of the sequels are a sequel to the first movie, you know, Mm. um, they are like, they completely ignore everything that happened in the other sequels and they're always the the first movie. Yeah, that's true. And, um, it's like, they keep on remaking part two. And this is essentially that, you know, not, not that it's negating what happened before, like Highlander does, but it's, While, (laughs) while I respect what you're saying and agree with it, I sincerely wish there was a better movie series than the Highlander that we could use. All I'm perhaps, gonna say. perhaps you know, there's some decent Highlander. I, you know, nope. I, I, no, after the first one, they're all worthless. No, Don't, no, yeah. I mean, yeah. two is terrible, right? But like the final dimension, I thought was solid. No, no. From, it's not from the director of November Rain, yeah. the nope. uh, the music video. No, and then no. and then uh, Highlander Endgame. No, no, that one is also terrible. It is, a, and I know we have Highlander fans on the Trek FM network, and I love you guys, and I love the first Highlander, both the uh, original American cut and the European cut, as it's called. Absolutely love them, and I even watched the Renegade cut of Highlander too. But no, that that whole series is after the first one is awful. I don't know. I I, re- I really love the third one. I have to say, but you know, yeah. whatever. Or the fourth one. Sorry, the fourth one. The uh, the third sequel. I thought the that was third end, end game end game okay. yeah yeah mm. it, it's, well to it, each their own as we say on Trek FM who am I to judge when 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 end game came out uh, I found like some message board where the the director of end game was hanging out Douglas Ernie Okoski and mm-hmm. I I sent him an email and I'm like I really liked your movie and there's three different versions of it on um, the DVD which is your preferred version because they they said that the the dvd was the producer's cut yeah and i'm like what does that mean and he's like um i don't know because i haven't seen any of the versions on the dvd (laughs) 
or the one that was in theaters. What? But but my version of the movie starts off like this, and I know that there was a bootleg going around for a while, and I'm like, oh no, that's on there because it's got like a an early cut which is like pulled off of an Avid with like no special effects. I'm like, is it this one? And he's like, yeah, that's it, that's mine. And I'm like, excellent, excellent. I'll watch so that one. So it's just that I haven't seen the correct <laughs> of four cuts that are yeah. potentially out there. You need to see the unfinished version. The unfinished version, yeah. Sort of like the four and a half hour version of uh, David Lynch's Dune. I I guess so. No, because that one is considered to be worse, right? No. I know, I know that he doesn't like it, right? He likes well, the theatrical. David, you know, who knows what David Lynch likes anymore? Yeah, he's weird. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't screw up Twin Peaks. That's the moral of the story. Mm. And Fast and Furious. Mm. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. All right. So, well, he didn't screw up Fast and Furious. Well, what did you think about Fast and Furious? The fourth one. It's a lot of fun. It's no Tokyo Drift, but it's a lot of fun. And I, I, I think um, when it came, when I got to it, because uh, you know, watching all of these in quick succession for the first time, when I got to it, it was number two on the list. But right now, it's I would say that it's oh gosh, because uh, I haven't seen the seventh one yet. But it's it's no three and it's no two honestly i i have to i have to finally admit the two fast too furious is better than fast and furious all right all right i respect that i agree with it um yeah i mean i i, I do enjoy this movie i i like it a lot more now than i did when i first saw it and i think part of that is because of you know sort of like looking at it in the context of the entire franchise uh but um i do think that as far as fast and furious movies go there are some better options for example yeah fast five yes <laughs> so after fast and furious's success at you know turning around this franchise i mean why would you not stick with justin lynn given the opportunity and uh they did and he was just like let's make this bigger let's bring the yes. whole let's bring you know everyone together you know let's make it you know oceans 11 fast and furious style let's make it a reunion movie and uh it's pretty epic and yes and they <laughs> yes brazil is uh is laid low uh <laughs> during the hijinks and the rock is introduced which yes. makes anything better mhm dwayne the rock johnson is is He's the, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to think, like, whatever your favorite spice is, like, whatever you like to add to something that's, you know, you like, but it's, a, you know, it could be just a little bit better. That's what The Rock is. Yeah. And that is what he is to this movie. You know, he's pure charisma and lots of fun to watch. For sure. For sure. It's, it's I think, the best of Lynn's movies, period. You know, I, I think that it's Lynn's masterpiece in a sense. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's so much so much fun, and it, it takes the the franchise to new heights, and uh, I, I just love it. I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and to, to speak to, again, like what, what we were talking about with Better Luck Tomorrow, like... Uh, you know, certain key sequences weren't actually shot in any Brazilian town or any Brazilian city. But the movie does such a good job of seamlessly establishing place that you never question. Like, everything yeah. is so... Like, there are movies, there are plenty of movies where when they switch locations and it's supposed to be the same city, you're like, no, that's not the same place. 
but he does it so well uh you know through that this movie you never question through the whole thing whether they're right there in brazil doing what they need to do in, in rio and it's you know it's really good he definitely ups his game in terms of the action and everything you know i mean yeah. you see him learning throughout well, his entire career but especially with the fast and furious movies and you know sort of honing his craft and and becoming you know one of the elite action filmmakers you know in the world right now and uh i think that that's demonstrated even further in some ways in his latest movie furious six yeah uh this was his his last fast and furious movie and yes. it's the one which takes place in London where they need to take down, you know, the evil bad guy who wants Dracula. to... Yes, Dracula, who wants to take over the world or whatever. They've come the a long way. Yeah, they've come a, a long way from uh, their TV-VCR <laughs> combos. And, uh, yep. yeah, what, what did you think about Furious 6? Uh, I agree with you. It's not quite Fast 5. But the reason for that is that if I were to compare ending uh, chase, battle, however you want to classify it, sequences, more fun at the end of Fast Five, whereas the as well-staged and as wonderful as that plane sequence is on so many different levels, especially technically, it's a little long. It's a mm-hmm. little much. And um, I think that works to its detriment. Um, and, you know, The Rock comes back there, but... It's worth seeing. Like it's it's very hard to like come come at it and be like, well, it's not as good as Fast Five, but that's not to say that it's bad. Yeah, it's still enjoyable. It's still a Fast and Furious movie, and it's still Justin Lin. It's just that some of the stuff I'm not offering any like special insight into why he left the series or anything like that. But I could very easily see somebody directing this movie after having done. You know, Fast and Furious, Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, Fast Five, and then Furious Six, and at the end of Furious Six, saying, "I don't know what else I can give this." Yeah, you know, like this is the maximum, and I I've done what I can, and I want to do something new, and bow out. Yeah, and and I think that that was the the right choice. I mean, <laughs> I remember like after he he got the job doing Star Trek Beyond, you know, I was looking at Twitter and you know he's on Twitter and he's like, I'm doing Star Trek Beyond. This is awesome. And of course there's somebody on Twitter who's like, I really hope you don't ruin it. You better not mm. ruin this movie. You know, because you know it, it feels like, you know, people are just doing this for, as like a paycheck and that would be terrible. And he's like, um, I'm not planning on ruining it. And he even said he's <laughs> like, if I was doing a movie for the money I would have done Furious 7 because I would have made a lot more money off of that than Star Trek Beyond you know there you go <laughs> there you go but he wanted to do something different you know and, and I think that that's great you know the fact that he yeah I mean he could have done Furious 7 and he would have knocked it out of the park and instead James Wan did it and he knocked it out of the park spoilers for Furious 7 um, okay <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, you know, it's like yeah, Furious Six. It's great. It really is great. But you know, there is is it as good as Fast Five? I I don't think so because I think with Fast Five they really sort of like cracked the code on these movies and figured out exactly what it was, which made them fantastic. And Furious Six was just sort of like trying to make a bigger version of that, and yeah. it, it 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 failed in that sense. Even though like you pull out, you know, like some of the those action sequences, like that one at the beginning, and it's you know probably the best in the franchise it just when you put it all together it doesn't have like the sort of emotional weight that uh that fast five has but you know furious seven you know they 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 did something which i think is similar to what they were trying to do in furious six but you know they succeeded a bit more but would i would i want to see justin lynn do furious seven instead of star trek beyond or any other movie no, not really. Yeah, you know, I love. I'd like to see James Wan do Furious Seven because he's been making you know Saw movies and stuff like that and horror movies, and it's like, well, get out of that comfort zone and do something different, and and yeah. maybe you know get something crazy out of it. And you know, here, you know, Justin Lin's doing the same thing with Star Trek, and I think that that's great. You know, I I agree. I completely agree, and I I think that. Uh, anybody who looks at it and says, "Oh, this guy did Fast and Furious movies," and, and so, okay, for as much as it is easy, and this is speaking as somebody who didn't want to get—I would never would have watched a Fast and Furious movie if not for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Not like I wouldn't have gone near it with a ten-foot pole. But what is wonderful about uh, about Justin Lin's Fast and Furious movies is they really are, as much as people are going to roll their eyes when they when they hear the word. They really are about family mm-hmm. and how family isn't defined by blood, how it's defined by the people that you love and you need around you and that make a real team work. And I mean, honestly, isn't that what the crew of, Star- of any ship in Star Trek, whether it's called Enterprise or Voyager or Defiant, isn't it all about that family aspect? You know, we're, we're all working together and we're all in this together and we will all fight and die for each other. And like, that's a, that's really cool, man. And I, th- I think that's really going to be something worthwhile to bring to Star Trek because, if anything, you know, the, the last two Star Trek movies have been very divisive. And I think that if, if you can knock them for anything uh, just right off the bat, it's that you, you feel like that there's a sense of they're together because they have to be because this is Star Trek and this is why these characters need to be together. And what I look forward to is Lynn bringing, inf- infusing them again with the sense of these are people who are together because it's what drives them. It's what they need. It's how they're completed is to be around all of these other people. Yeah, and, and anyone who's worried about them just being big action extravaganzas without any sort of you know heart or story or message or whatever, I think those are people who haven't really seen the Fast and Furious movies. I don't yep. know, for one thing. Um, but also, I think there are people who haven't seen Better Luck Tomorrow or Annapolis, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. Finishing the Game or, you know, his television work, which, you know, I know that we've talked about, you know, at, at times on this show. But to me, it speaks volumes to Lynn's talent that, you know, the two television shows which he has directed for, you know, aside from Scorpion, which which was, you know, he he made the pilot for that and, you know, whatever, that's, you know, 
you hire Justin Lin to, to make a show like that. That's great. Mm-hmm. But the two which were not his shows in, by any stretch of the imagination, which he came on to, were Community and True Detective. You know, what many people consider to be the best comedy on television and the best mm-hmm. drama on television. And the fact that those creators, those people who are known for, you know, uh, producing material at an extremely high standard would trust this guy with their sitcom about, you know, some people going to a community college and their drama about, you know, a group of cops trying to, you know, delve into the the darkest depths of humanity, you know, and both of them are like, Justin Lin is the guy to get. And the fact that he did a really good job with both of them, I mean, that just speaks volumes, you know, as yeah. far as this guy's talent is concerned. And and really, I mean, says to me that there's no reason to think that Star Trek Beyond is going to be bad. I mean, he's made seven movies here. Not a single one has been bad, in my mind. I know that some of them are not loved by, by everyone, but... As far as I'm concerned, every single one of these movies has been good. So the yep. idea that the first time that he's going to make a bad movie, like the one where he's going to drop the ball, is a Star Trek movie written by Simon Pegg, that does not compute. I'm sorry. If yeah. Star Trek Beyond ends up sucking, I am going to be shocked. Absolutely yeah. shocked. You I know? agree. And I do think, as much as it might infuriate somebody... Uh, like produced by J.J. Abrams because we went over the movies that Abrams has produced and yeah. if there's one thread there as well Abrams makes sure his directors get what they need to make the movie that they want to make and like that's I think that's important to point out too is like people love to rag on the Abrams verse and everything but as a producer he's going to make sure that Lynn gets everything he needs to make this movie happen right not only that but I think the other thing that he does as a producer is which we, we could, I think, see in in his filmography, his producer filmography, which we looked at, you know, a few few months ago. He's very good at choosing directors who are suitable for the projects which he's producing, you know? It's not like he has a stable. It's not like he has one guy who he always goes to, no matter what. You know, it's not like he's going to give it to his friend or whatever, you know, if his friend doesn't have talent, he's going to give it to the best person for the job, whether that's, you know, um, Brad Bird for Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol or um, Mm -hmm. Roger Mitchell for, you know, um, Morning Glory or Justin Lin for Star Trek Beyond, whatever it is, even when his choices are things which you wouldn't necessarily think mesh well, like Matt Reeves, you know, the co-creator yeah. of Felicity for, ten, you know, for Cloverfield. I mean, the, yeah. the, there's he's very good at spotting talent and, uh, you know, getting these people to, to, to line up with the right projects in order to make good movies. And uh, there's no reason to think that, you know, with Star Trek, he's going to drop the ball on this, you know. I mean, he even made a change. He he even, you know, saw something where it was like the obvious choice in a lot of ways, you know, wasn't working. So he course corrected. I mean, is he going to yep. course correct into just another terrible choice? No, I don't think so. I think that this is solid. I think that this is good. 
I think it's fair to say that as Star Trek fans, we've seen plenty of questionable choices in the films up to this point. And if I were to go through and, and tick off all of the the different choices that have been made or directors that have been through, Justin Lin is like he's a great choice. He's he's a name where I'm like, OK, this is off the bat. This is starting off better than the way it worked out for some other directors along the way. Mm hmm. Yeah. And he's he's a director that has his own vision. He has his own, you know, voice and everything like that, which I think, mm -hmm. you know, especially like during the the 80s and 90s was maybe not as uh, prevalent in, in the Star Trek movies. I think a lot of them were more producer driven under Harv Bennett and Rick Berman. And, you know, for a movie to stand out, I think, you know, being director driven is definitely a plus. And I think it's it's going to be a plus here. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. That's Justin Lin. Any final thoughts on Justin Lin? Yeah, I. he's a really talented guy and a, a good director, and I can't wait for Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, you know, up until he was announced as director, the only uh, things that I had seen of his were the Fast and Furious movies, and, you know, the only two that I liked were... Uh, Fast Five and Furious Six, but going back and looking at him now and really sort of examining everything, you know, he is a, a really, really interesting filmmaker, and um, I'm I'm super excited that he's making a Star Trek movie, you know, yep. and and if anyone hasn't seen, especially the Community episode that he directed called Modern Warfare, check it out. It's awesome. It's one of the best half hours of television you'll ever see. And Do it, you need to see Community up to that point to get the episode or to enjoy it? No, no. I mean, it, it's definitely like there, there is sort of like the culmination of a storyline. But, you know, if you are aware that these two characters have sort of been circling around a relationship with each other for the past 22 episodes, you'll be able to understand what's going on. And, I mean, the thing that really stands out about it to me is the fact that it is like a big-budget John Woo-style action movie only yeah. with paint guns because yeah. it's awesome. Okay. But the, the it's it's he, he does such a good job of directing it. And that's what really stands out about that episode. So definitely, okay. definitely check it out. It's great. So. I will check it out. All right. So before we go, um, we were just talking about J.J. Uh, Abrams producing stuff, right? And uh, just today, as we're recording this, they announced that he's producing something else. And that is a new movie called Colma, which is uh, going to be starring Daisy Ridley, you know, who he found it for uh, Star, Star Wars The Force Awakens, of course. This is a movie which is going to be directed by Marielle Heller, who directed the recent film Diary of a Teenage Girl, which is a little indie movie, which um, was very critically acclaimed. I haven't seen it myself, but I, I wanted to. Did you see it? No, I didn't. Okay. All right. It, it's supposed to be really good. But again, you know, here you go where it's like, it's not like he's getting Brad Bird to direct this, you know, he's getting yeah. someone, you know. So, so this movie uh, sounds interesting. It's a remake of an Israeli TV movie. And it's about a woman who, when she's in her 20s, she's like with her, her fiancé or boyfriend or something, and they get into a car accident, and he dies. 
So now 50 years later, she's, you know, an old woman and she's dying and she is given the choice. I, I might be getting this wrong, but she's given the choice mm -hmm. between basically going to heaven, you know, mm -hmm. and living happily ever after or going back to that moment of the car accident and, you know, having the opportunity to like relive her life, mm. but with her boyfriend surviving or whatever. I don't know. Wasn't there a movie Heaven Can Wait? Yes. Oh, people have yes. said people have said this is kind of like Heaven Can Wait. Yeah. It's no second chance TV show with um, Chandler from Friends. That's true. It's not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows what it is? It sounds weird. It's going to be like, I mean, it sounds like a, a smallish movie, but really it's not. They say the budget's going to be like 60 to 70 million because wow. it is going to be rather effects heavy, all things considered. And, you know, you got to figure they're probably going to be doing age makeup and stuff like that. But it's a chance for, for Daisy Ridley to star in, you know, kind of like a, a vehicle which is outside of the the realm of Star Wars, which is is cool. No, and you know, I actually I think it's I think it's really cool because it, it's almost like Abrams is looking out for her to be like, okay, I'm gonna make sure you're not gonna get typecast. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I, I'm gonna make sure you get something that's not going to lock you into playing Ray for the rest of your life. Right, right, exactly. But who knows? We'll see. It could be good. You never know. It could be. So yeah. with with Abrams's track record as a producer, it probably will be, you know? Yeah. All right. So I'm sure every Star Trek podcast is talking about this this week, but you know, we're gonna look at this from maybe a slightly different perspective. But there's obviously a rumor going around. Um, Birth Movies Death uh, is reporting that the new Star Trek series that Brian Fuller is is producing is going to take place in the prime timeline uh, in between Star Trek VI and Next Generation, so like after mm -hmm. Star Trek VI, essentially, and uh, that it will be heavily serialized, and the first season uh, is going to be in that, in that timeline, but it could change in season two because the plan is to make it a seasonal anthology, Mm -hmm. a la True Detective or, you know, American Horror Story yeah. or whatever. So, um, that's all well and good, you know, and, and everyone has opinions about that, and everyone has opinions as to whether or not this news is reliable. Um, Devin yeah. Faraci, you know, who is who runs uh, Birth Movies Death and, and has been doing this for a while, it is, uh, you know pretty pretty solid you know for the most part you know he's he's reliable there are definitely times where he misses the mark like he's the guy who um had had uh, published the rumor back when into darkness i think it just started production that it was definitely not con and that it was going to be someone from the first season like gary mitchell or something like that. oh that's right oh my gosh and i remember that like, oh, like maybe it was yes. going to be the horda or something like it's going to yeah, be one yeah. of these people from season one that was not accurate but then again i think i'm not positive but i think he's also the first person to report the whole thing with the turmoil in terms of uh, the production of Star Trek Beyond and the fact that that uh, um, 
Orsi was not going to be directing, you know, so so that, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, just like with any film journalist, you know, he hears things and stuff like that. He seems pretty confident in this. He said that he's gotten four confirmations. So I don't know. I'm tending to think that this is accurate, but I'm not 100% convinced. I would be very happy if it's accurate. Mm-hmm. I'll look. I'll watch it. No matter. It's not like I'm going to be like you know. If they don't do this, I'm not going to be like good day, <laughs> sir, and not watch the show. But yeah. um, you know. But I honestly, I mean, how to set yourself apart? How to make it something that is compelling, but at the same time offers a promise to fans that you, you know, like e- even if you even if you watch, you know a season of the show where you're like, yeah, I'm not sure how this is going to go. Like it offers the constant chance of renewal and, you know, freshness. And I, th- I think that I, it'd be great if they did it. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I like the time period. I'm disappointed that it's not, you know, theoretically a Excelsior show with Sulu. Although who knows, maybe it will be, maybe it's just maybe a different one Sulu. season. It is. Yeah. And, Okay, let's since we're the the show about Star Trek creators, let's look at what this means in terms of that, at least to me, you know. I this to me seems like it opens up all sorts of interesting possibilities from a creator standpoint. You've you've got Brian Fuller who is, you know, running season 1 at least, right? And I mean, the question that always, you know, came out to me is it's like, okay, he really wants to do this, obviously, but how long is he going to want to stay and, and do Star Trek before he gets the urge to, to do his own thing, you know? And here, he doesn't have to stay, you know? I mean, you've got Nicholas Meyer here, you know, doing his thing, whatever. It's like, okay, Nicholas Meyer is here to do the post-Star Trek Six show, right? The post-Star Trek Six season. You know, what if... Since it's only thirteen episodes, what if, and it's a supposedly heavily serialized? I'm just assuming it's only thirteen episodes. I, honestly, it could be twenty six episodes again. Who knows? Um, but yeah. you know, looking at you know television models and and whatnot, who's to say they can't do what they did on True Detective or what they're doing with Mister Robot or whatever it is, and get like one filmmaker to come in and direct the entire season? Why not get Nicholas Meyer? to direct all 13 episodes like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but but then okay it's not like he needs to commit for like seven years or anything like that because season you know two you could have someone like iris Stephen bear come in and do his you know theoretical follow-up to deep space nine you know, let's yeah. see where these characters are now, you know, 18 years later or whatever. Why yeah. not? You know, and it's not like he needs to commit to anything like that either. He just, he does 13 episodes, you know, then he's gone. You know, you could do all sorts of things like that. You could do the Sulu show, you know, well, with, and find a thread that ties them together. I mean, it's Star Trek. It's science fiction. Ha- like some sort of anomaly, like has you skipping through time or you know, almost like a an all good things sort of thing where like each season there's some sort of piece of a puzzle that goes together. So each season stands on its own, but then it plugs together, you know, later because somebody picks up something that you see in another season that's, you know, however many years later and stuff like that. Or you, you, you take the model of like what Marvel is doing on Netflix and it's like, okay, 
you know, like yeah. like the plan was like, okay, we're going to do four of these shows, four miniseries, and then have them all come together for, for like the Defenders or whatever. And instead, it's like Daredevil is massive, right? So it's like, okay, yeah. well, screw screw a couple of those. Well, let's just do Daredevil season two instead, right? Well, why can't you do that? If, if everyone is going to be, you know, like... An, an anthology you know kind of thing for like one season if the star trek six story with all the or post star trek six story with all the new characters is like super duper great then why not say okay we're gonna do that but then we're also gonna do you know iris steven bear's deep space nine follow-up or manny Cotto's enterprise follow-up or whatever yeah. or or ron moore's like random klingon you know storyline or whatever you know I mean, how great how great would it be? And I cloud talking. I like I again, I'm not going to I'm not going to get my hopes up and I'm not going to like, you know, walk away from it if it's not this. But how neat would it be if one of the ideas out there was to tell storylines we already knew, but from a different uh, race's perspective? Yeah. Like the lead up to Star Trek six, but from the Klingon perspective. Yeah. And, you know, who else better to do that than Nicholas Meyer? Mm -hmm. You know, where were the Klingons coming from? It's like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, I can take that. I mean, that would be a really neat sort of thing. Or, you know, uh, like it, if you're going to have a deep, deep Space Nine follow-up, like whatever happened to the Jem Hadar afterward or something, you know, like they could do some really interesting things with that. Yeah, and maybe maybe it is a case where Brian Fuller's just like, I've been thinking about doing this for the past, you know, 15 years or whatever, and I have like 25 ideas, so, you know, this is what I'm doing first, and then I'm going to do this, and that could happen, and that's great, that's wonderful, whatever. But I think just sort of the the scale of the format, you know, and the idea that it's not a huge multi-year commitment necessarily mm -hmm. allows for a lot of interesting opportunities in terms of who you get to do these things you know yep. because a lot of these people are huge names like brian fuller and you know if they if they're they only need to come in for a year to do this and then leave i mean they can do that that's a lot you know easier for someone of that scale to do than than uh you know committing for an extended period of time and i think that it, it, it would be interesting because you can get numerous perspectives you can get num numerous storylines and everything like that and uh, it could be it could be pretty great so we'll see obviously this is all just speculation on our part based on someone else's you know rumors or whatever but hey butterfly <laughs> effect maybe us putting these thoughts out there Maybe that helps influence things. Maybe. So keep talking, everybody. Let us know on the Babel Conference what you think. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear, okay, because, I mean, like, the first thing that came to mind for, for me was, you know, like, Iris Stephen Bear is, you know, every everyone always asks him, like, would you ever want to do a Deep Space Nine movie? And he's always like, yeah, you know, kind of like, why wouldn't I? You know, of course, that would be cool. And then, you know, a few years ago, he was like, if I were to do a Deep Space Nine movie, it would be about Section 31. And it's like, ooh, ooh what would that be? It's like, well, now we could see that. You know, there's that. Yeah. You know, everyone always wanting to bring, you know, Enterprise back. You know, I mean, they, they always talk about it on the Ready Room and stuff. M Manny Cotto's magic bag of hindsight or whatever it is where he's been rather open about like what he was going to do in season five it's like now you could get that right okay so there's all these these ideas which are out there you could even extend it to say like hey 
Michael Dorn gets to do his Wharf series. You know, why not? Oh, right? Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> so, I would be so happy. So here's our question for listeners, and let us know in the Babel Conference because we're very curious. What would you want to see? Not just not just like I want to see because everyone's I've been doing this for the past you know year or now or whatever you know or past like ten years. You know, like I want to see a movie that takes place in you know post Voyager or whatever. You know, specifically like you you know who's out there, right? Yep. Star Trek creators, non-Star Trek creators, you know, whoever's out there, everyone loves Star Trek, whatever. Who do you want to see do a season of this thing? What are you, what are your ideas? What are your specific combos and, and everything like that? And uh, yeah. just because, hey, you know, may, maybe this is, you know, wishful thinking on our parts, but six months ago, if someone would have said, uh, yeah, Nicholas Meyer is going to be on the writing staff of this new show... Right. I mean, come on. This is the world we're living in now. We're we're living in a world where Lawrence Kasdan is writing Star Wars movies. Nicholas Meyer is writing Star Trek television shows. The X-Files is back on TV with David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. I mean, it's amazing. Not, the sky's I, the limit, you know? Yes. <laughs> so yeah. so let's let's hear your ideas. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Justin Lin today. But that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, the orb. I want to hear Worf give a command sometime like, one quarter ramming speed. And then (laughs) someone says, Captain, regulation specifically states that we cannot go at one quarter ramming speed while we are in orbit of a planet. (laughs) (laughs) To the journey! Yeah, where Seven actually mentions that, where she's like, hey, we, st- we tried this before. You know, like, I offered my services, and <laughs> you, you, you said no. You're making her sound like an escort. I know, I, di- I didn't really mean that to happen. It just kind of came out that way. She's working the alcove. The ready room. You know, because he's appealing to the Ferengi side of, of Nog, which is still so much a part of who he is. I'm Even glad he didn't he offer an umox, though. Yeah, well, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. When you said sh- he was going to shack up with uh, <laughs> Vic earlier, I was like, whoa, it didn't go that far. The 602 Club. I feel like uh, Men of Steel was a great groundwork to work from, and uh, Batman v Superman, it, it, it had to build off of that, because if they didn't build off of Man of Steel, people would say, oh, they're trying to ignore perceived failure in the past and that's what else is happening on trek.fm check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the star trek universe and beyond you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts if you're an apple user be sure to hit the subscribe button that helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search itunes if you're not an apple user we've got you covered as well you can find our shows on stitcher TuneIn, soundcloud windows phone and of course you can stream and download the mp3 file from our website or get the rss link as well if you want to help us out, you can buy some stuff from our Redbubble store. If you just go to Trek.fm, there's a link to the Trek FM promenade where you can get t-shirts, sweatshirts, pillows, bumper stickers, anything you want within reason. Yes. Well, yes, within reason, but <laughs> some really cool designs. Yeah, and, and more on the way for sure. So some someone the other day was like, uh, hey... 
after uh, you know after December, do do we get T-shirts saying that uh, oh, we right. watched seven hundred twenty-nine episodes in three hundred sixty-six days? I'm like, yep, yep. Let's do this. Let's do I this. I think that I think that's a great idea. Aaron's like, I don't have time. I'm like, you've got eight months. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So yeah, keep on checking back. You know, we new new designs. Uh, come up pop up when you least expect it so yeah all right um another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on patreon if you visit patreon.com slash trek fm that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trek fm you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you these perks include early access to content exclusive content producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it. That that certainly helps us out a great deal in terms of uh, getting exposure and you know helping other fans find us and everything like that. So just go to iTunes, leave us a review, and we'll read it on the air. If you do it like in the next four days otherwise you're kind of screwed because we won't be recording any more shows so yeah yeah that's very sad (laughs) come on man oh well uh if you want to contact us you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact you can leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trek.fm uh, you can find the network on Twitter at TrekFM, or you can find the network on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Facebook is also where you'll find the Babel Conference, which is our listener forum, where you can go and talk to us about Star Trek or Justin Lin or who you want to see do a season of um, the new Star Trek television show or whatever. Um, just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion tab on the menu bar. John, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, on Twitter, I'm Kessel Junkie. You can also find me uh, co-hosting a podcast called Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. Uh, and you can find me with uh, Trek FM's own Matthew Rushing co-hosting a uh, Star Wars-focused podcast on the Nerd Party Network called Aggressive Negotiations. And Mike, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me right here on Trek FM, producing From There to Here, our daily rewatch of the entire franchise, where we look at two episodes a day for all of 2016. We're well into Next Generation at this point, and uh, yeah, it's it's exciting. And you can also find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And uh, that's about it for now. All right. So that takes care of Justin Lin. Uh, Very exciting. You know, we started this whole thing with Gene Roddenberry, who was was the first Star Trek creator. And we're we're ending it with Justin Lin, the, the, the most recent Star Trek creator, or the current Star Trek creator, maybe not the most recent but the current Star Trek creator. And, uh, yeah. Next week, we're going to finish up this whole podcast commentary. An extravaganza, if you will, Mike. Yeah, we're going to put a bow on it and, yeah, uh, yeah discuss everything that we learned, how we got here, everything that we learned, maybe our yeah. favorites, our, our, our favorite creators, our favorite shows, whatever, you know? 
You'll just have to tune in. It's it's going to be our our all good things. So yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah. So so be sure to check it out. You know, one one last episode. It will be our all good things, and not our these are the voyages. I hope. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs>